Good evening, everyone. Hope everyone had a great day today. Uh, as usual, I, we give it a few moments here for uh, people to come in. Uh, we've got a very wonderful guest this evening, Mitchell Hora. Most everybody knows who he is. He and I are very good friends. This will be a great, great conversation. Uh, please, uh, please put your questions in the chat because that's what I, I want this thing to just go, go any direction we want it to go. So, um, don't be scared. Put a, put a question in there. Um, Mitchell is, uh, is transitioning from his vehicle. He's been somewhere speaking today and he's in, he's, uh, headed for home. So I'm going to take the first couple minutes here, which is just fine. Uh, again, you know, I've, I've been putting some posts out on these peas. I'm really liking what I'm seeing. Let me tell you a little bit about what our plan here is. Uh, we've done two different companies of peas this year. We did Grassland Oregon Survivor Peas, and we've done um, uh, Pure PP1804 Peas. They're, they're, they're different from each other. The, the uh, Survivor Pea is a cold tolerant pea, so that's a pea we're going to plant in the, in the fall or the early winter. And these peas have done phenomenal for us here. Uh, I've, I've got some pictures coming tomorrow. Uh, today I put out pictures on the web about uh, the 1804 peas from Purus. Tomorrow we're going to talk again about the uh, survivor peas. Uh, they are about knee high now. They have just exploded. And this is a beautiful setup. I love this field that we're doing. This field that we're I'm talking about with the, the, the Grassland Oregon Survivor Peas was the field that we raised buckwheat for for uh, Keith Burns and Green Cover last year. And we got there late, long story, I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but it went down on us. We probably left 100 pounds or so to the acre on the ground that was already on the ground before we got there with the combine. That all lit, uh, survived the winter. It didn't germinate. The seed just laid there. Now we've got we've got aerial rye growing. We've got survivor peas growing, and we've got a beautiful carpet of buckwheat coming. And the buckwheat's about four inches tall. And what we're going to do with this? We're going to let it keep going, uh, probably another maybe ten days, and then we're going to probably flail chop. And then we're going to come in and plant Milo. We ought to have all the fuel that Milo needs to raise a crop right here in the tank, right ready to go. That's one thing we're doing with peas. The second thing we're doing with peas are the purest 1804s, and those are not specifically uh, for cold tolerant pea. They are more of a warm, warm type season pea, and we're using them in the spring. And they were planted in a field, a, a different field, on May the 5th. And we came back on May the 14th and planted our corn. And I put, that's the picture I put on the web today, was a picture of those peas from planted on May the 5th. And if you were to open up your hand um, and, and set the top of the pea at the top of your index, or the top of your middle finger, that pea and the root was as long as my hand. And that pea was planted just about 13 days ago. So tremendous, rapid. It's amazing what happens when you wait for the weather to be right and mother nature to tell you it's time to go. 
and we put those peas in the ground and they were exploding out and now the corn is about a half inch from coming out of the ground so tomorrow will be the 19th and that'll be what two weeks right at two weeks from when we planted those peas that corn's coming out of the ground so the plan here is if we can get there we've had a couple of rains of we're very fortunate we've had a couple of rains we've got plenty of moisture right now if we can get there before the corn gets out of the ground i want to flail chop this down to the ground and then the corn is going to grow right through all that we're going to that's going to be the fuel we're going to we're going to mulch the the rye that's there we got volunteer rye we got some wheat we've got some clover we've got some remnants of alfalfa left over uh, we've got a lot of things going on that are going to feed this corn plus all these peas so all we want to do is flail chop off the the rye the wheat the clover and the alfalfa because the peas are only about uh, two two and a half two to two and a half inches tall so we're going to flail chop right over the top of them and lay this mulch down the peas I hopefully we don't smother I don't think we got enough biomass to smother the peas out the peas will keep growing the corn the plan is the corn comes out of the ground and surpasses the peas and then uh, as as the corn gets to v6 v7 it will canopy we will start to eliminate the sunlight on these peas by then the peas will have fixed we hope upwards of 50 pounds of in and we are off to the races and we're gonna we're gonna feed our corn uh, uh free nitrogen from the atmosphere and do that through a legume particularly the pea so two different peas two totally different ways to use them one is a cold tolerant you plant in the fall one is not a cold tolerant you plant it in the spring and and that is going to hopefully give us 50 to 70 pounds of available in that we will have available for our corn or our milo crop so uh, i really love where we're headed with this uh, and and the other thing i like about milo is milo is about a 75 day crop so if we can get it planted by by june the first um i think my math is correct here that's september the 15th we're bringing a crop off we've got all kinds of time to get a, a nice legume package planted and we can then go right back into corn if we wish so i love the flexibility here with this milo um as you can see mitchell's on board mitchell how you doing today rick doing well sorry for uh being in transit here it's okay but we're sat down we're we're at the at the homestead here things are good in iowa good i am uh i do have the little one running around so i'm guaranteed there's gonna be some background noise and uh probably gonna be a visitor at some point here on the podcast but i hope that's so. fine i hope so that's we fine. have yeah. our, we have our oldest daughter jessica's uh, daughter here charlotte she's our first granddaughter and uh i'm sure she'll be making her presence known as well so it's all good <laughs> all, all right so here we go like i'm gonna like we do always giddy up let's go mitchell gotta ask you the one question that you're that you know coming oh is on your mind right now i knew it was coming but i hadn't uh, hadn't prepped and thought about it 
Um, what's on is. what's on my mind right now is that we have got to continue to accelerate all of this stuff. It is just moving so quickly. What I mean by that is uh, um, just with what's happening within re- the regenerative ag space, what's happening with companies that are interested in this, with the low carbon uh, tax credits and stuff. I know we're going to get into some of that. Continuum Ag has uh, some new investment money coming in next week. That's super exciting. I got to hire a bunch of people and we've just got to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And um, all this stuff we've been talking about here is just, it's go time. And uh, so just hammer down, pedal to the metal, full speed ahead. Yeah. Uh, and we got to roll. So right. that, that's me- where my head's at. Let me ask you a question and right there, right? I, I appreciate the, the candor there. Um, okay, do you feel, Mitchell, that the regenerative movement is is maybe starting to get greenwashed out or or whatever word you want to use for it? Do you feel it's losing some momentum right at the moment? Um, no, I, I don't know. Like from the farmers, you're, are you thinking? Or are you thinking from the companies and stuff? Yeah, I was thinking farmers, first of all, then we can roll into the company. As I don't know much about the company side of the equation. Yeah. What do you Let's think about farmers? farmers first. Side? Let's talk farmers first. It was really interesting to me to see the amount of cover crop that we got throughout Southern Iowa this year. That's very, awesome. very apparent that there is more cover crop. It is, um, it is very noticeable. Now, often when I'm driving, you know, I'm looking, I'm watching for it. I'm looking for cover and I'm like, ah, there, you know, there you go. Yeah. But I, uh, throughout Southern Iowa, when I go from my neck of the woods in Southeast Iowa, I go to Des Moines, um, you know, from my area there, I pass a lot of cover crop fields. It's not just in my, you know, Washington County and in, in my local neck of the woods, it's definitely expanding. Um, but there's a lot of tillage going on. Yeah. A lot of tillage, um, you know, still our, our, uh, you know, prayers to the families impacted in, in Illinois and the dust storms and stuff there. And, um, you know, there, there's a long way to go, but, um, seeing things continue to pick up the word that I've heard is something getting close to 3 million acres of cover crops in Iowa. No, that's awesome. So that's getting close to 10%. Or around ten percent. Now I don't know that I believe that's quite that high. Um, I think that's a little inflated, but well, maybe, maybe. And yeah. and you know maybe Mitchell, we don't know. Maybe that means a guy planted a cover crop last fall, came out early spring and burned it down with chemistry, and you and that's right. Gone. That's yeah. right. No, no, they they yeah. burned it down early. Plenty of so, that happened. Yeah. Plenty of that. Um. Plenty of it burned down early. Plenty of it was a cover crop that maybe didn't even survive the winter. It probably didn't do a whole lot last fall at all. Right. But at least it is a um, it's moving in the right direction. Supposedly, you know, uh, the the government metrics, at least, and they're looking at cost share dollars is what they're tracking. So yeah. folks that are using in Iowa, we have some really great um, state cost share funding that's available. So that's what they're looking at with some of those metrics. But um, but I think that piece is moving. But I, I think it, the bigger picture with this regenerative movement is that more and more folks, I think, catching on that, like, this isn't going away. 
And there's some major dollars that are probably going to be had here. And uh, we're going to need to figure this out at some point. And uh, better start figuring out how you're going to make it work on your farm and don't get left behind. And even worse, you don't want to get the stick. The carrot is a lot better than the stick. And, um, you know, with uh, companies, I feel like have backed off a little bit this past year. I feel like they were trying to let the uh, Climate Smart Commodity Grants fall into play a little bit, kind of letting the dust settle. Um, But, you know, seeing that uh, the interest and the push is still there, it's just shifting just slightly. Yeah. Uh-oh. We got... Thought we were going to have somebody say hi, but we're Hello. holding off. We're holding okay. off. All right. We'll see you later. But but I don't know. Are you seeing different? What do you think, Rick? Like in your neck no. of the woods, it's just not... No, no. Not as full speed ahead? I, I, I see it full speed ahead. Um, you know, I'm actually... Uh, Mitchell, my my inquiries are now moving further away from home. I mean, uh, it's, it's the other countries now. Uh, and and that's good. I mean, um, there, there is a true alarm in place for the need for regenerative farming, but it, it's also a culmination of several other things that we can't just say, this is going to take care of climate because that that's not the case. Um, but you know, I, I don't think it's happening yet. But I just, I just feel like there's maybe a little bit of momentum starting to slow, and I kind of feel like we're at that point where that the, the, those maybe the companies or maybe some of the farmers that aren't willing to step in yet are like, okay, guys, it's time to prove what you've all been saying. How hmm. how is this truly more profitable to farm this way? Yeah. That's probably true. Um, it's it's been a lot of talk for a long time. Yes, and it's major time for action. And it's kind of back to the we you know where my head's at, where it's like, hey, we've got the data, we've got things proven, we've got some initial things built, we've got things that are working, and it's time to rock and roll. That's and right. uh, because because we can't let the momentum slip either. Yeah, we've got some opportunities out there, and that's what worries me with the climate smart commodity grants. There's two major things. That I'm really watching from a momentum standpoint. One is the Climate Smart Commodity Grants. That was the U.S. Uh, U.S. Department of Ag put out a call for proposals right about a year ago, saying, "Hey, we're going to put a billion dollars towards climate smart commodities. Uh, you can apply for up to um, what was it? Up to a hundred million dollars that you could apply yeah. for in a grant." And so everybody and their dog applied for these grants. Um, they had something like $20 billion worth of applicants or something like that. If I re- remember right, they increased the funding from being a billion dollars worth of funding to being about $3 billion worth of funding, three and a half, somewhere in there. And uh, between the request for the proposals, the process, and now, which some of these contracts are just now starting to actually get finalized. None of them have really started yet. They're just getting going. Yeah. But basically over the last year, all these companies have just pumped the brakes saying, hey, stop everything we're doing. We got to figure out this climate smart commodity grant stuff. And then maybe we can go again. I think that's really hurt uh, maybe some of the 
the slowness that you're feeling. I know we definitely felt it. Um, felt it as a company, felt it just overall uh, that the corporate side of things definitely slowed down over the last 12 months. Because in my observation, at least, that's one of the things with the Climate Smart Commodity Grants, everyone just pumped the brakes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I'm feeling, too. Um, I, I don't really have one direction to aim toward for the, you know, I just kind of feel it around. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you know, I'm, I'm very open with what I do and so are you. And, and, and we're always looking for validations to check off what we're doing is right. And I don't know, Mitchell, three weeks ago, maybe I get a call from a very large farmer in the area. And I mean, very large. And they want, they want me to come talk to them about cover crops talk to you about a biology, uh, what, what, you know, carbon, all of these things. I mean, they realize that it's coming. They don't necessarily want to farm this way, but they sure. know that something's coming and they better be prepared. And yeah, kudos to them uh, to have that, that for, you know, that forward thinking. That's totally right. Um, I'm definitely seeing the same type of thing where these large, like large farms, they're large farms for a reason. They didn't become large farms by being dumb. Yeah. <laughs> they're paying attention. They know how to run a business. They know right. how to how to understand markets, and um, and they realize that these things are not going away. They're going to impact the business whether they want it to or not. Yeah. And uh, and better, we all better continue to uh, we all better get ahead of it and make sure that we're we're ready to roll. So. Yeah. Um, definitely seeing the same type of thing from my side as well. Large farmer saying, Hey, I know I'm probably going to have to make some changes. I'm not going to do it all right now, but at least, you know, let's start getting prepared for it and let's get in positions. We can capitalize when the time comes. Yeah. And, uh, I hope that, you know, some of these like companies now they're going to start rolling some things out. There are going to be some opportunities that emerge out of it. But, um, at the end of the day, though, it all boils back to the principles. It boils back to farm smart, control your input costs, utilize data correctly, get the right advice, like just control what you can control, your cost yeah. production, drive your yield, utilize the markets you have available. It continues to boil back to the tried and true, but try to uh, just make sure that you know we're being smart about what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, topsoil because uh, you yeah. talk about data. Uh, and folks, this is uh, Mitchell and I met, I don't remember, I don't know, five, six years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I was in Iowa presenting and there's this, um, there's this sharp dressed young man in the audience that just <laughs> is keep driving questions at me. Like, I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> and, and lo and behold, it was Mitchell, but I came to find out that day, because he and I talked after I was done, he has the largest private data set of Haney tests in the United yeah. States, maybe the world, I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah, at least U.S., I don't know. Yeah. But Mitchell is a data junkie, like we're data junkies, <laughs> because he understands that you have to make, our, our data's power, and when you have that power, you can make good decisions. And so let's go into topsoil. Topsoil is that is that software interface that gives that farmer that platform to baseline his farm and start collecting data. Take it from there. The biggest thing with all this is 
the momentum here is going to continue to go. The only way you're going to be able to actually capitalize is if you're able to prove that what you're doing is real. That's the only way you're going to be able to do it. I had a very interesting, going to segue this, this a little bit, because um, if folks want to, want to, uh, yeah, Haney testing stuff, we can help you with that mapping things out, carbon intensity scores, topsoil.ag. Cool. The big thing with all this is I had a meeting with today with a, it was like a carbon accounting firm. These guys provide consulting they provide um data and like tax management services and stuff for massive companies yeah and uh we were talking about the 45z tax credit low carbon fuel tax credits and other like sustainability tax credits and these guys are saying oh yeah there are buyers of these tax credits that are available yeah. Uh, there are people that are looking for this kind of stuff. We have to make sure that the quantification systems are legit. You got to be able to back this up if you want to be able to actually capitalize on it. The verification processes are going to have to be rigorous. The models are going to have to continue to be improved to really hone in on what is the actual environmental footprint. And um, this is where things are going. Yeah. And uh, this meeting today was intermittent. This company had like, I think they, I was invited in by a, a group that we're working with. There was about three of their representatives on it. Um, I was presenting some things that we were working on in terms of environmental scoring and data management that we're doing with Topsoil. And there was 10 of these people from this carbon accounting firm and uh, environmental asset accounting firm, pile of them. That's big and I was explaining what, what we've got going on. These guys are big. And uh, they're like, yep, we, uh, We've been kind of watching this, but we haven't seen it explained in the way that you're talking, where farmers can be involved, where we can uh, really quantify low carbon going into the supply chain. Uh, but yeah, we've got people that that are ready to go with these programs. And again, the only way we're going to be able to, to make this stuff happen and uh, monetize is if you're able to back it up and... Um, document everything that's going on it's going to take data to be able to make that happen so looking like we might have lost rick it might be on my side i don't know one of us having uh having some internet issues rick was having some here before but um but i'll keep going uh, rick hey we got you back maybe yeah so for a little bit but uh we're good to go so but with these guys huge huge group and uh it just boils down to farmers We've been preached to, I think, for you know, 20 years about data yeah. and the importance of data. And we really haven't been able to actually get the value out of our data ourselves. But that time is coming to an end. And that data is incredibly important because for somebody else to make a claim, a carbon claim, a scope three reduction claim, a carbon inset, whatever it may be, in order for them to make a claim, they've got to have the data to be able to get it backed up, get it verified, and actually make it legit. Yeah. And uh, in our data, we should not be giving away for free. It's no. extremely valuable to them, and we need to make sure that we get our equitable share. And, you know, folk, I mean, I, I, I know this is going to be something corny I'm getting ready to say, but folks, writing this down on a napkin isn't, isn't cutting it anymore. I mean, you've got to get lined up 
with a real company like Mitchell's Topsoil and already have all, because see, if you, if you build it like Mitchell's people will tell you to build it, and then when that day comes, you push a button and you push it all right to them. Yep. Yeah. That's the key. So that's what, that's where I think the opportunity is for everybody. And as we're thinking about the growing season and stuff here too, that we're all in, it's, it's a lot easier to document what you're doing when you're doing it. Yeah. That is like the date and the rates and what you're doing. Every single nitty gritty thing that you do on your farm, it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah. It is a big lift. And especially if you're managing a lot of acres, I mean, and I mean, Rick, it, it, you guys are already doing it for your organic certification and stuff. Like you are used to a major data lift in the audit and verification process and, and maybe speak to that. Cause I think a lot of conventional farmers on our side, shoot, we don't want to go through those kind of audits and that lift like that. That sounds terrible. Yeah. You've been having to go through it for a long time. And now yeah. everybody's going to have to go through kind of similar type of processes. Might have frozen up a little bit. Another thought on that. What we are anticipating is going to happen here. Okay. And I'm talking with a third party verifier company. We've got a couple different ones that we are working with. Um, yeah, Rick, we kind of got you going in now a little bit. When yeah. uh, when we're looking at uh, the verification processes here, I'm talking with a couple of verifying companies. Okay. And these guys, what we are going to do is we're basically verifying our process verifying essentially like topsoil itself that we're saying, Hey, we're going to collect all these X, Y, Z things. We're going to help the farmer to have a plan and then document what actually happened on their farm. And uh, so yeah. we're going to verify the whole process, but then they will do random audits on up to 10% of the acres every year. So that's what will likely happen here with, with this whole thing. You probably won't go through, a in-depth audit, like what you have to do in your organic certification every single year. We have to go through every little line item every single year. It'll end up being that they'll audit 10% of the farmers every year. So yeah. you better be ready to rock and roll in case you're the one that gets a random audit and gets the check. Because if you've got something that's out of sorts, everything else you've been doing, like, and, uh, and we're dealing here in part, we're talking about federal tax code. And if you're lying yeah. on things that are tied to federal tax code, that's fraud. We are talking major, major, um, a major potential backlash on this type of stuff. It's just like when you're stealing grain. It's just like when you're participating in other federal program stuff. It's uh, you can weasel your way around things, but when it's time to get audited, if you're doing things wrong, and uh, and you're the random pick, and they find something. You're in a world of trouble. So what we want to make sure that we're doing is just documenting everything. Keep document the receipts, the shape files for the as applied, taking pictures, whatever is going to be needed. It's going to be satellite imagery and that kind of stuff too. It's not going to be, we want to make it as seamless and as simple as possible for the farmers, of course. Um, but just knowing like, Hey, we got to document everything. And it's yeah. a, it's going to be a major change. I know for our farm too, as we're going through it, like, it's a lift, um, but um, having the right folks to be able to help and just making sure that we're managing data correctly is going to be the key. Yeah, yeah. See, and I, I don't think people understand how massively intense this is going to be. I mean, 
to, I mean, it's like anything else. If you've never done anything on, on your books or, or to keep your data, that first download is hard because you got to yeah. bring all that data. But then once you get it there, then it's just day-to-day -day items that you're just uploading a couple, two or three things that, you know, and, That's right. and it's not that bad. It just becomes, right. it just becomes part of your life. Yeah. On our business, we've been switching over to QuickBooks Online. Going from QuickBooks desktop to QuickBooks online, yeah. it is brutal <laughs> to yeah. make the switch. Yeah. But once we're there and now that we're getting through it, it's awesome. Like yeah. there's so much good stuff that's in there, so much automation that we can build in. Like same thing. And yeah, I mean yeah. the upfront lift is is gonna be a lot, but that's why it's like for all the folks that are listening, you know, and, and watching this here today, it's uh you're on the leading edge, just making sure that you know what's going on that. Um, the dollars are going to be good enough to more than reward your effort. Yeah. So just be ready as this stuff happens. And, um, and yeah, what's prompting a lot of this and what we're talking about is the 45 Z tax credit, low carbon fuel tax credits, uh, scope three reduction initiatives where the data and your story goes with your product into the supply chain, because your environmental footprint is your buyer's environmental footprint. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. And in order for them to be able to make claims utilizing your data and your story, it's got to be verifiable and it's got to be backed up. Yeah. Folk, folks out there, if, if you're online with us here, I'm telling you, we got one of the leading experts in this carbon market right here on this, on this podcast. If you've got a question, please type it in because you're not going to find much of a better source of information about what's going on in the carbon markets than, than Mitchell and Continue Mag. So if you got a question, please please bring it. Um, all right, so Mitchell, I I don't I'm not in these markets right now because I'm organic. So, but I hear that you know X Y Z processor is going to pay somebody uh, eight cents a bushel or whatever if they okay talk through that what's going on that and let's compare that yeah. to the true carbon initiative score and what that all means okay so here's kind of the the basis of it we've done some stuff on our um on our like youtube and stuff too if people want to go check it out what's happening here is with the 45z tax credit it's for renewable fuels so yeah not the market that your grains are going into but for a 40 percent of the corn produced in this country it's going into ethanol yeah. So let's talk about ethanol. So ethanol has an overall carbon intensity score, national average about 56. Okay. That is 56 grams of GHG equivalents, CO2 equivalents per megajoule of energy, which okay. is just, um, that's the, that's the units. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Ethanol is 56. Gasoline is something like 96. Oh, wow. Okay. 100. So gasoline, fossil fuel, 96, corn ethanol, 56. And then they get blended and, you know, re yada, yada. Out of the 56, corn is 29 of the 56. Okay. However, corn produced on our farm has a score of negative 4.4. So instead of contributing to that overall score of 56, it's actually carbon negative. Yeah. Because of the cover crop, the no-till, the yields that we get, the reduced fertilizer, the reduced diesel fuel and passes across the field, reduced pesticides, all that kind of stuff. 
we offset our own carbon footprint. Plus when they create ethanol out of our corn, we actually offset a little bit of their carbon footprint too. Yeah. So now at the end of the day, if all the corn was grown with a, or, or sorry, if all the ethanol was produced with corn that had a score like ours, negative 4.4, they would take their score from 56, subtract off the delta between 29 and us, negative 4.4. It's a 3.5 uh, reduction because 29.1. 29.1 minus 4.4. We've reduced their overall carbon intensity by 33 and a half. Yeah. You take 56 minus 33 and a half. That's your new carbon intensity of the gallon of ethanol. Yeah. See, and now, what the? Yeah. That means something. I mean, that means something now. That's got that's got the dollar value on it. It's got the impact of what's yeah. happening upstream. All that now is a is a viable plan. What I like, okay, so one, one step further, and then, we'll, then we'll take this bigger scale. The 45Z tax credit, how it reads today, and this is as we know it today. We got a little disclaimer here once again. The 45Z tax credit was put into play with the Inflation Reduction Act last August. It's currently sitting with the IRS and the U.S. Department of Treasury to take the law and go and implement the actual tax code and the, the how it's going to actually be implemented. Yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of dust to settle. However, the current reading says, okay, ethanol today is 56 or whatever. Every plant is different. You need to get below 50. And as you go from a score of 50 down to zero, we'll pay you, we'll, we'll give you a tax credit of two pennies per CI point reduction per gallon that you produce. Mm. Okay, so um, thinking on the math here. So if my ethanol plant is 56, using my corn, we reduced by 33 and a half. They're now down, what, 20? 20, 22 and a half. 22 and a half. Yep. But it's the 50 is the baseline, not 56. So those first six points, they get no tax credit for Okay. But because they went from 50 down to 22 and a half, you take 50 minus 22 and a half. So you got 27 and a half times two for the two pennies per gallon. Yeah. You now are at 55, 55 cents per gallon tax credit. As that translates to the bushel, one bushel of corn creates on a conservative side creates 2.7 gallons of ethanol meaning for every point reduction on the bushel standpoint it's that's actually a dollar, that's a dollar 48 and a half dollar 48 per bushel opportunity on the whole deal yeah but i thought i thought the 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 uh the bid that xyz processor had of 10 cents was was awesome and <laughs> yeah so dollar 48 i think actually in. some of it some of it can go even further than uh can go further than the dollar 48 the uh the so dollar okay. 48 is the total so now, okay so now you mind now. times your your farm average was what 200 yeah 240 bushel corn yeah, yeah. 240 bushel yeah. 
We can't quite see it. Go, maybe I'm not seeing it. That's two hundred ninety-seven dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. An acre. Two hundred ninety-seven dollars an acre. Now that's the total pie. Okay, so I've got to continue on the sugar coating and disclaimers on this. I cannot go and get the tax credit without the biofuel manufacturer. They get the tax credit, but they can't get the tax credit without my data and my low carbon corn. Yes. Number one, they need my low carbon corn, but they need my data and the verifiable data to create the low carbon, the low carbon tax credit. There she is. I know. But, uh, so hey. we have to work together. So that $300 an acre they can't get it without me and I can't get it without them. So we got to work together here. Yeah. And, uh, and then also this is a tax credit. So the, the ethanol company, they only have so much tax liability that they need to offset. You know, they, they've got taxes that they got to pay, but they don't, they don't have that much that they have to go and offset. Yeah. So the, uh, the extra credits, they go and they sell those extra credits on markets for say we we don't know we don't know what the value will be but say it's 80 85 90 cents on the dollar that'll be the cash value that uh but then we have to pay for verification it's cost money to put all this stuff together uh for the monitoring reporting and verification um so there's some costs in this but still when we're talking the pie being three hundred dollars an acre in this case as a as some conservative number like Shoot, this is a game changer versus like carbon stuff that we've been talking about for the last couple of years where we're talking 20, maybe $40 an acre total pie. Now we're talking total pie $300. Even like, it's just the pie is so much bigger and better as long as the IRS implements this correctly. And, uh, and what I like about this is it's a tax credit, not taxpayer dollars being directly handed out yeah Yeah, exactly see agrees but uh we we've got to make that like so these tax credits then my tax the tax credits that the ethanol company produces they can be sold then to a company that has big tax liability who can then go and fund this whole system they they are able to reduce their tax liability they're able to help to finance a regenerative you know movement and conversion in this route but the last point is even if it's not the tax credit if my corn is worth an extra dollar 40 a bushel to go to the ethanol guy what's the pork guy gonna do what's the cattle guy gonna do what's the other manufacturer gonna do we're gonna have to expand these opportunities and make sure that uh that everyone's able to to capitalize on these kind of initiatives and i just I, I just believe in the overall concept of documenting everything we do on our farms, calculate the environmental score, get that verified. And the yeah. better your score, the more financial opportunity you can create because it helps the next guy in their financial opportunity. Yeah. I mean, this, this is a big deal. This is uh, this should have everyone's interest spark you know you uh, wait you said how many dollars per acre on this mitchell yeah yeah this yeah, is 300 this is real this is real real money it's got that's why it's got me just so interested even i, I really hope it all comes through the way that that we're talking here um i just what i love the most about it too is 
farmers are in control. I've, I've got a quote out there from Farm Journal about me saying, in this program, farmers are price makers and don't have to just be price takers. What I mean by that is you can control... <laughs> you, uh, you can control the carbon footprint that you want to go after. You're in control. Do you want to plant that cover crop? It reduces a lot of points, but hey, it's not the only way to score points. You can reduce yeah. your fertilizer. You can use biologicals. You can use manure. You can use compost. You can use other things as ways to be able to work this score down. You're in control of how far you want to take this, and you don't have to do it all in one year. Learn and build up your soil and take this, but it now just rewards that the further you want to go, the more potential financial opportunity you can gain. Um, the best share in this that I'm hearing today, yeah, we were first hearing five to 10 cents per bushel with some yeah. of the initial pilots. One of my customers here a week ago or so, so one of the very large grain aggregators and grain buyers in the country said for carbon neutral corn, CI neutral corn, they'd pay them a 40 cent per bushel premium. Huh. And I told him, Hey, we're working in the right direction. Yeah. But that carbon neutral corn is still, it's worth close to that dollar fifty type of range. Yeah. And uh, so 40 cents, we're getting there. But, um, and, and for current crop and old crop, I think, I think that's probably a pretty good deal. Um, but as these programs continue to uh, move forward, I think, um, I hope at least that the farmer cut um, can be even better than that. But we'll see. Robinson, there you're back. I'm sorry. I apologize for the internet. We're good. We're good. I apologize. But, so, hey, Mitchell, there's a question here. Will these credits be paid on best practice then? So it's it's looking at what are your practices that went into that bushel, you know? So it's looking at it. We document the practices, but it's more than just like, did you, it, it's for the cover crop. It's, did you plant a cover crop on tillage? It's, were you conventional till, reduced till or no till, but on like the fertilizer and stuff, it's the actual units of fertilizer. It's the type of fertilizer, the units of fertilizer for manure. It's the type of manure, yeah. the actual pounds per acre or, or tons is actually how it asks. Um, the yield, I mean, it's, we're talking bushels per acre, we're talking gallons of gasoline and gallons of diesel fuel utilized per acre. We're talking kilowatts of electricity used. Like we're starting to talk some detailed numbers here, not just the practice. Okay, so Mitchell, is there gonna be, will there be a company arise out of this that's gonna give us a true, been looking for is that going to happen here that's us i mean that's what we're doing so what we're able to do is get your score the the current system gives you a score on a per bushel basis but we say the here's your per bushel score take that times bushels per acre times the times the acres under management in that system and you've got a pretty good idea there now what we're missing is the rest of the on the road you know, carbon footprint of what's going on on the road and, and some yeah. of the other nuances, the, the livestock side of things, we don't touch that. 
some of these other crops, you yeah. know, you're super diversified. These models today, we're, we are able today to give you a per bushel, per acre, and then your operation carbon footprint for corn, soybeans, uh, milo is, inclu- is included, sorghum, uh, sugar cane, and rice. And it's because oh. this was a system that was developed um, by the U.S. Department of Energy. It's the Argon Greet or the Argon National Lab and the Greet tool. Um, so it's not it, it's it's definitely not perfect, not even close. I think we have a long way to go, but able to at least give a pretty decent idea as to what your operations carbon footprint is, at least on a uh, on this metric. All right. Ed, Ed's got Ed Bourgeois. How you doing, Ed? Ed's on every week. Um, uh, Claudia's on too. Ed, Claudia, how you doing? Um, oh, yeah. So Ed says, so each, each piece of data needs to be considered as a future product in a variety of markets. Okay. Mm. So this Ed's comment there leads me into this next question then. So, so Mitchell, if, if I want to, if I want to call you up and I want to start to make a change and I want to baseline my farm and I want to start yeah. getting on a program, reduce inputs and blah, blah, blah. But I don't have that market yet. That's going to pay me for this corn. Can yeah. we put this in the bank? And does this become a storable number or a storable credit that we can pull that chip out two years from now? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, okay. So what I mean by that is today, what we can do is we can figure out what is your current carbon footprint score today. Maybe there's a pilot program you can get into. Maybe there's some opportunity to get some value. But I think even my customer that was talking 40 cents, that's probably pretty good. This 45Z tax credit goes into effect January 1st, 2025. So it'll absolutely influence your 2024 crop that's no. producing that fuel in 2025 right that's when it's go time and that 2024 crop we're planting a cover crop for it in this fall of 23 we're putting on manure we're putting on fertilizer we're changing tillage this fall that's why we're talking about this yeah but 2020 to your 2022 crop that's still in the bin and your 2023 crop that's in the ground i don't know what the opportunity there is going to be yeah. If you can get something, sweet. If it's yeah. worth your while, if it's worth your effort, it's a decent price, go for it. Right. There's not this tax credit that's paying them, so they're probably doing it kind of out of their own pocket. Yeah. You can't necessarily bank this unless you're going to sit on grain for that long, and then you got to talk about your carrying cost and that kind of stuff. Maybe, maybe you can pencil it, make it worth it, but I. I don't know. I don't know that it's going to be going to be worth it. Um, depending on how much storage you have and what kind of production you're looking at, but but it's not like I mean because it's the carbon story tied to the bushel, you know. Yeah. So when you sell the bushel, yeah. your your environmental story goes with it. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, Curtis Wilson's got a question. So how does the relay rye soybeans fit into this? Are we able to get a good uh, score from this? Yeah. Good question, Curtis. Um, it's really, I mean, that relay, not necessarily from relay. I mean, shoot, you think the U.S. Department of Energy knows what a relay crop is? No. You think no. the federal government knows what a relay crop is? No. But how it would tie in is that relay crop is a cover crop. You're in a no-till system, check that box. 
you're reducing your synthetic inputs, check that box, it, you know, and, and you'd actually have the numbers in there. It's not a, that's not a check box. Right. Your, your pesticides would be significantly lower. There you go. You've got the soybeans that are still maintaining good yields. There you go. And then you've got the rye that would not tie into this at all because the rye is going back into cover crop or some other type of type of market. So your soybeans would have a low carbon intensity. That would be helpful. Your rye would not be directly impacted, but because of the nitrogen credit from that nodulation on the soybeans for your next year corn, now we're getting a compounded effect that now your corn's carbon intensity could be lower because you've got sure. that extra nitrogen credit from your relay crop. So with all this stuff, I mean, yeah, we're talking pretty solid financial numbers is what it looks like we'll be able to tap into. But at the end of the day, it's still control your cost, drive your profitability, control the way you can control, follow the regenerative principles. That's the tried and true. Because who knows? It, this is a federal tax credit here, people. Like this is fragile stuff. Oh, yeah. At a stroke of a pen, these things change. Oh, so do not yeah. change in administration, stroke of a pen. This stuff can be gone tomorrow. Now, I'm banking on the thesis, though. I'm banking on document everything you do, turn that into an environmental claim, get it verified, and that goes with the product that you're producing in the supply chain and drives a premium based on how good your score is, that is where this yeah, is going. I, I like this. I like this because this, this, this model fits the principles of soil health, being a yeah. good steward of the land, being conservation-minded. All yeah. of these categories fit under this model, and that's why I like this. Uh, I like that. What I've talked about, how I boil it down, Rick, is farmers need a scoreboard we need to understand the point system and the financials need to be tied to the point system. Today, the scoreboard is the yield monitor. We see it right here as we're driving our combine through the field. There's the yield monitor. The point system is the bushel. We've got a pretty good idea how that point system works based on you can test this variety versus this variety or hybrid, this rate of nitrogen versus this rate, this cover crop cocktail versus this one this planting population versus this one, whatever that variable may be, and you see how it influences the points on your scoreboard. And then the financial system is tied to the points. The more bushels you produce, the more financial opportunity you're going to have. Now, it's not tied to how you produce those bushels. It's just tied to how many you produce. So now what we're talking is a digital asset associated with the physical asset where you still have the current scoreboard of the yield monitor, the bushel and the payment per bushel in the commodity market. But now you also have finally another scoreboard, which is your carbon intensity score. We've got a solid, we understand how the point system works because we tore it apart, reverse engineered it. We know exactly how to score points. And the premium is tied to the lower your score, the better your points that you're earning, the more of a premium that you can earn for that contribution. So the, it's the thesis that I like here. Now, we're talking mostly about renewable fuels because that's what was set up 
with the Inflation Reduction Act and this 45Z tax credit. Okay, The renewable fuels and the oil and gas industry has better lobbyists in D.C. than the pork guys do or the dairy guys do. That's how it, how it works. So renewable fuels has this tax credit to pay for this. Other verticals don't have that. However, it's the concept of low carbon or improved water quality or biodiversity grain to feed low carbon pigs to produce low carbon pork in McDonald's supply chain or whatever. That is the same type of avenue. Low carbon grain to feed low carbon chickens to have low carbon, you know, at Tyson's facility to create low carbon chicken nuggets at McDonald's. It's the same concept. Now, at, in that, in those kind of supply chains, the Walmart and McDonald's and stuff, I don't see this as being some type of major additional charge to the end consumer to pay for this because they're not. They're shot. This is the Walmart and the McDonald's shopper. They're going there because it's cheap. Yeah. But Walmart and McDonald's need to meet their sustainability goals. And in order for them to do that, they need to lower the footprint of that pork chopper, of that chicken nugget. And by working in their supply chain, they can actually get it done. And there's sustainable finance, all kinds of ways that they can do it. So, Rick, yeah. I went on a heck of a rant there when you were, uh, we got your oh, reset here. I am so sorry, folks, with my internet. I, oh, I'm in chaos here. I hope to have it straightened out by next week. We're good. Uh, hey, Mitchell, let's now go. Okay, so everything you've said may be beyond some people's reach right now. You know, what are, what are the principles of soil health, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You have now a division in, in topsoil where you're teaching now. You're, you're, okay, talk, talk through this. How do we get somebody who doesn't know much about this? What can we do? Can we get help? It's still just about, yeah, work with the right local trusted advisor. We're definitely scaling. That's what I think is missing in this whole regen thing. Like, okay, yeah, now we're doing the scoring and we're helping with verification and all that. But that's just like, a, that's like just what's happening now. Yeah. And overall in regenerative ag, it's how do I do this stuff? And I mean, yeah. Rick, that's why the podcast and doing what we're doing now is so important. Like we got to be able to teach people and we got to be able to scale this thing out knowing how to yeah. implement this stuff is tough so we're continuing to you know provide machine learning and data analytics and scaling out our network and stuff trying to hire a bunch of regenerative agronomists right now i need a bunch of of folks so if people know like intro level agronomy type of folks is mostly who i'm kind of looking at folks that have an interest in regenerative ag who understand some basics of agronomy i need a lot of those people but um we just got to keep helping each other out and helping each other to utilize the stuff and make smart decisions um, yeah. because it's, it's still on the farm where you're going to win with this stuff. And maybe that's where we, where we shift to with all this. I've been out on the farm like all week here. I've had a bunch of people in, I had folks in from the UK today. I had folks in from a very large fertilizer manufacturer was at the farm today. Probably can't, I don't know. I could mention who it is, but um some other folks, you know, just just people that are that are coming out. Um, I had some folks in to the farm from Spain here this week, so that's Good. fun. Um, just seeing this stuff really taking off and working on the farm as we're digging, as we're you know, as we're smelling the soils and feeling things like it's just 
the principles is the key. Everything we've been talking about up to this point is absolutely going to influence all of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's incredibly important to be aware of, and hopefully your family farm can, can capitalize on it. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, folks, we've just got to keep pushing forward and do, I mean, if you want to tackle this by yourself, go for it. But you've got, you've got the means right here. You've got Continuum Ag, you've got Topsoil. The, the platform's there. I mean, Mitch, my gosh, Mitchell yeah. has got a, a team of co-writers <laughs> that are constantly changing things yeah, because yeah. you see no, something it's... better, a better way to do it. It's been awesome, Mondo. They launched some pretty cool new stuff. Okay, so one of the things that that my folks, my software developers launched last night, I've got a domestic software team and I have an international software team over in India. And uh, my folks launched a tool last night where on Topsoil now, so we'll be launching it live probably around June 1st as we're getting ready for our June 5th Topsoil Summit somewhere in the next couple of weeks. So you go onto Topsoil, plug in your current farming practices, and uh, we do charge for your carbon intensity score. It's 500 bucks. Yeah. We've spent a lot of money on this. And uh, in giving your score, it's 500 bucks for the score. Okay. And it's there within a couple minutes. So there's your carbon intensity score. But then what they've built out and launched in our, in our back-end beta testing system yeah. is that you have a toggle tool where you can play around with what will your score be based on wow. the change practices. So if I add cover crop, what's to do to my score? If I use no-till, what's to do? If I change my NPK fertilizer, what does it do? And you can see what would move the needle the most for your operation. Yeah. And uh, so being able to kind of play around with like your numbers, here's your score today, here's the opportunity to change around and uh, be able to, again, put the farmer in the driver's seat with, how far could we take this? But what we also do is we calculate the 45Z tax credit, the dollar value. So it's not just your score. Who cares about the score? We show yeah. you what it's actually worth and what yeah. it could be worth the top the top line to just show farmers like, hey, here's your score today. Yeah, Here's what it could be. And uh, if you want to rock and roll, we can help you to do it. If you're good with your score today, hey, sweet. No problem. So. Yeah. The average score that we've done, so like I mentioned, corn overall in the country has a score of 29. The average score that I've seen in all of our farmers, the average score is eight. Pretty good. Zero is carbon neutral. Zero is carbon neutral. Now, a lot of our farmers, of course, are already doing a lot of these these things, you know. So eight is our average person. The best CI score that I've seen so far from one of our customers is negative 13.2. Wow. Yeah. That's somebody that's, with high yields. That's good yields. Uh, actually, I don't know that the yield was crazy. The yield oh, really? wasn't crazy. Okay. It's cover crop, no-till, using manure. So their synthetic fertilizer is extremely low. And uh, yeah. so that, that was the key. Um, using manure yeah. instead of the synthetics. Um, manure, of course, has a, has a, carbon, a significant carbon footprint to it as well. And keep in mind, this is then the carbon footprint of the bushel. They also have a carbon footprint on the pig. So as yeah. a yeah. entity, they would have carbon footprint on the corn, carbon footprint on the pig, and then they would have a, a higher score. But using that manure and not using the synthetic fertilizer 
gave a, a very, very low carbon footprint score. So Brad was asking, how does manure score in this system? You just answered it, net worth positive or net negative? It's got to be definitely a net helping. positive, right? Definitely helps. Yeah, yeah. definitely helps. So the, re- so the reason behind that, Brad, the night, okay, so we're talking about greenhouse gas equivalents, which usually is boiled down to a CO2 equivalent. The unit is one ton of CO2. So one ton of methane going into the atmosphere is equivalent to just about 30 tons of CO2 in the atmosphere. Oh boy. One ton of nitrous oxide in the atmosphere is just about as equivalent to 300 tons of CO2 in the atmosphere. Oh my. Okay. Methane is 30 CO2 tons, one ton of nitrous oxide, 300. Okay. So that's why the scoring system is the way that it is. So my synthetic fertilizers contribute to some nitrous oxide release. Now, we maybe one of the things we can get into is this new fancy tool that we got on the farm yesterday, this uh, flux chamber. Uh, and I can explain that. But I think that with our reduced synthetic fertilizer, with our good nutrient cycling, with our good aeration, we don't have the volatilization that the model is built on. We don't have the loss that the model is built on. So I think our nitrous oxide is lower than what the model would say per unit that we apply. But the model right now just says the less fertilizer that you put on and the better nutrient use efficiency that you get, the less nitrogen uh, nitrous oxide that you have. But basically at 200 units of nitrogen as, as anhydrous, versus 200 units of nitrogen as methane. This one's got a 300X nitrous oxide impact. This one has a 30X. And again, it doesn't factor in the footprint of the pig and the barn and that side of it. It's only of the manure in the field. So you got to draw the lines in the sand there, but but yeah, well, yeah, but you get you know that the, the manure though you have you have livestock you've got to get rid of this manure. Yeah, so, get rid of it. That's right. I get I get it. I mean I think it's awesome. Um, and you know as long as the manure is managed properly, um, you should most definitely be net positive here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you're talking. You're adding to the. Um, you're adding more micronutrients and stuff as well. You're helping with your PNK reductions. You're you know yeah. driving. Uh, improving the carbon there itself you're improving your biological function you know um yeah i mean obviously you can run into negatives with manure as well but yeah when done properly it can be a huge gain yeah yeah and uh, claudia you're right that, that uh this should give farmers more incentive to change towards regenerative farming because they can see if what they're you know, each thing they're doing is, is going to help or not. And I love your tool there, Mitchell, because it's yeah. kind of like, um, you know, my first thought when you were describing this was uh, Keith Burns, uh, um, a cover crop builder, you know, yeah, his, uh, sure. cocktail builder, and it tells you if you're going in the right direction or not. And, you know, you got your too heavy legume or whatever. Yeah, I love this. I yep. love it. No, I think that's exactly it. It just shows growers like, hey, yeah, hey, here's the low-hanging fruit to get the best bang for your buck. If you're going to change one thing, here's the best one thing you can change to get the outcome. 
Now, spoiler alert, the best one change is add a cover crop. Okay, yeah. say we're not ready to do that yet. Well, let's go to strip till. Let's manage our fertilizer better. Let's do, we got some other things we can do yeah. that uh, the that cover crops got the most. Sorry, we got a, a Celeste lost her shirt here. Oh, my. <laughs> I'm Celeste. Can you say hi? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bless was out digging for worms yesterday out on the farm. She was having fun. She's been hanging out on the farm a lot. Oh, yeah. With my, or with my, my mom and dad, her grandparents. And um, so we were out there putting her to work yesterday. It was good. It was good. We're so, defense. so Mitchell, is there also, there's a question again from Brad, uh, uh, Brad Jarden. Uh, thanks for the uh, questions, Brad. Is there better scoring for composting practices? Um, nah, Brad, I think that's one of the things that needs to be built out more. Um, but no, compost isn't in there. Again, keep in mind, this is a, a very early stage tool, U.S. Department of Energy tool. They don't not, they don't understand all these places where we're taking things here, okay? No. Where that would fit in is that you would you would show where your actual synthetic nitrogen is significantly lower. You would still account for, you would account for the, uh, the nutrient analysis of the compost. You account for that, but, uh, but overall, where you're going to benefit the most, there you go. <laughs> where are you going to benefit the Hi. most? Hi. You're going to benefit the most from that overall synthetic uh, fertilizer reduction and continuing yeah. to drive yields but keep in mind i mean the uh again yeah these these the carbon intensity score itself it's one metric and uh we need to continue to remain very holistic here and and focus on the bottom line profitability yeah yeah i get it but you know it, it's great though to be doing that brad because there there will be clearer definitions in composting right. clearer definitions in biology all of these practices will get honed in and you better be ready to jump and go when it's, it's go time that's exactly right and a great point rick and yeah brad document what you're doing document like your carbon that's in the soil start documenting some of these practices hey fine which brings me to maybe this new toy that i got yesterday Come here, come on. You can come talk to him. You know, you want to sit in your you want to sit in your booster seat. So uh, the um, okay. So I got this new toy yesterday, Rick. It's a flux chamber, and what it is is it's like a 15 inch PVC pipe that's got some uh, it's got some kind of holes in the bottom of it so that water can move a little bit more easily. But uh, so it's a PVC pipe that we put down into the ground. And we put it in one of our relay crop fields. Okay. So the project that we're involved in is specifically targeting soybeans okay. and the carbon footprint of soybeans. Well, our soybeans, of course, got massive cereal rye growing on them right now. Our rye is heading out. So we need to talk on some like on farm agronomy stuff because I got some questions on what you've started to talk with. And we we got another hour and a half of this conversation there to go yet, folks. So, but anyway, the we have this massive PVC deal. That we pound down into the ground and then there's this lid that we're able to put yeah. onto it and it seals off and you set it there. I believe well, I've got to get all the rest of the protocol here yet, but sounds like we seal it off, wait for 15 minutes. Then we come back and we take a measurement of the air that's in this chamber 
And uh, we do that at 15 minutes, 30 minutes and 45 minutes. And we send, we're sending it off to a lab for a full blown analysis for carbon dioxide, nitrous oxide, methane, all I'm assuming oxygen and other stuff. And uh, to be able to see what is happening in this chamber and what is being cycled with our soils to really dial in what type of environmental footprint are we getting in this relay crop and soybean system. So really interesting uh, to, uh, to see what's happening there. Um, it's a flux chamber, not quite flux capacitor, Brad, no flux chamber. They have uh, they have really fancy one, these eddy flux towers and stuff. This one is a, a little bit more simplified version. Um, and we're part of a project with Arva Intelligence. And uh, they got a grant from uh, one of the national soybean groups um, is who's funding this and trying to better understand the carbon footprint of soybeans across the country. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. The, the, the technology that's coming is just mind blowing. The, the stuff that's I wanna, coming. I want to say, so this Matt Rollick is, uh, is who I work with. He's actually speaking at my conference here in a couple of weeks. If, if uh, folks want to see more, I did a, a webinar with him. It's on my, on my YouTube page as well. Um, but I believe Matt was saying that with all these chambers that they have, they are going to collect more data about the carbon footprint of agriculture this year. They're one company. They're going to collect more data this year than what's been collected up to this point in an in, in entirety around the world. Oh this one God. company this year, like that's how far we got to go though, Rick. Like we're talking about all this stuff and these footprints and these scores. Dude, we don't know squat yet about how this no. is really impacting, how this stuff is going. We can absolutely measure it. I've got readers and stuff. You can get CO2 sensors. You can get readers for very inexpensive to test the air and test some of these things. That's not what's hard. It's understanding the dynamics yeah. and understanding how these things fluctuate when it's not a linear system. Hmm. It's always in cycle. And that's what we just do not understand at all yet at this point and also understanding that carbon is the most important element to produce our crops that we grow mm -hmm. carbon the most abundant element in our corn and soybean crop stuff and most abundant element in our bodies we're 18 percent carbon we've yeah. got to have the carbon in cycle and it's the driver of everything back to our buddy keith burns and the carbonomics stuff like that is the key and we got to have this yeah. stuff in cycle and putting dollars in our pocket. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's just fascinating, Mitchell. And, I, and I'm, I'm so, so glad that, uh, that we're friends and, and we can talk about this stuff. I mean, folks, like I said earlier, there, you're not going to talk to anybody one-on-one -on -one like this. That's any more closer to this than this guy right <laughs> here. I mean, this is big, I mean, this is big stuff. I mean, Mitchell's having, you know, we can't name names, but Mitchell's having meetings with CEOs of major uh, grain processors to get on, get them on board. Be, you know, hey, 10 cents isn't enough. You guys need to be 40, 50, 60 cents. Yeah. Yeah, at least. Um, but the biggest thing I think what we have to talk about with that is that it's a shared initiative. They can only make money in these programs yeah. if they've got our grain and they got our data. And we can yeah. only make money on this if they want to play ball and if they're going to 
going to give us our fair share. So we need each other. Um, and I think that poses good opportunity where farmers are in the driver's seat here. I was talking with one of the, um, one of the like current carbon companies, I would call them. I'm here today having a catch up. They've got a lot of stuff going on. was talking with their CEO here this morning and uh, we were talking about their carbon program stuff. And I'm like, Hey man, like I got to keep letting the dust settle on some of these new carbon things. And I can't tell a farmer to enroll in anything right now and be locked into anything. Like, how can I do that? And he's like, yeah, like, I mean, I don't, I don't blame him. Like farmers are in the driver's seat here and farmers have an amazing opportunity ahead of them to go and, and implement these practices and get financially compensated for doing it. And um, there's just so many people that are going to want us participating in their program. Um, we don't want to be patient, but we don't want to hold off for forever and miss the train, of course. But right. I haven't signed my name to nothing yet. I'll no. Put it I haven't either. I haven't either. Um Mitchell, tell us how we can get a hold of you. How do, how do we find you? Yeah, continuum.ag is our website. Um, we're hosting the conference on June 5th, the Top School Summit. I'm all over on social media, Continuum Ag or Mitchell Hora. Email Mitchell at continuum.ag all over the place. Thank you, Rachel. Um, okay, Rick, I want to I switch gears here, and I want to talk on some – I got to be – I, I want to talk on some of the farming stuff here a little bit. Okay. Right. Back to what you were talking about before. Okay, Rick. I got to figure out how to figure. You were talking about the peas and stuff. Okay, is uh, yeah. as I was getting settled in, I was driving and getting back from the farm and all. Well, you and I were talking about peas last fall, and we didn't do anything with them. We didn't plant most of our cover crops until mid-November, and my cover crops are pitiful. Yeah, plenty of our stuff on yeah. corn. It is thin. It is pitiful. We've got weeds. Now we got chemistry. We're going to spray the crap out of stuff and we're going to take care of them. We're going to be fine, but it is pretty pitiful. And uh, I mean, it's, it's fine, but from my standard, it's pitiful. We only planted cereal rye last fall. We, it, again, most of it didn't get planted until November with yeah. a, montag system in a vertical till machine or with the drill so it's yeah. it's not put in depth it's scratched in and uh that's that's part of why it's not amazing and um we attempted to broadcast some alfalfa in march this spring that alfalfa at the most is two and a half three inches tall right now spindly i don't see any nodules on it just nothing are they going on and there's hardly any of it out there like complete yeah. failure we yeah. have we're gonna have to figure out how do we make some more of these legumes work into our system and i know that the the right answer is number one we need to have our crap together last fall we got a new cedar and there was technical if difficulties and that's why we didn't get done correctly we'll be fine here this year option number two is shorter season crops but we we don't really want to I'm going to go to that, but I don't know. How do we, I'm sure there's a lot of other people that are in my boat where it's the cover crop wasn't amazing. Yeah. Especially our legumes. We've got to figure out how to make some other stuff work. Yeah, I know. It, this is tough. Um, getting the cover crop package that you want 
for a corn crop for next year's corn is the most difficult thing, in my opinion, to get accomplished uh, in a corn soybean rotation. Okay. Yeah. Now, obviously, so if we could add a cereal grain in there and you do not double crop, now you've got all summer to get the, the package you want out there. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't always work. The market's not always there. I, I get that. I get it. Now, that's where these peas are very intriguing to me because we've had very good success with these Grassland Oregon um, uh, survivor peas for the for the for what you're talking about. I mean, we didn't plant ours till December. Uh, wow. I want to plant them right before the ground freezes, just right before the ground freezes. And we plant them deep, like three inches deep. And they just hang out and they stay there they they come out in the spring and i'm going to have a post tomorrow today was the purest piece tomorrow i mean mitchell these things have gone in two weeks they've grown 14 inches in two weeks and they're not they're noduled all the way top to bottom you're going to see all this tomorrow um that kind of gets you toward what you're talking about yeah no, I would still, though, in this scenario, and I'm talking now uh, the scenario where you're still using reduced inputs, you're still able to use some chemistry, I would still add cereal rye to this equation, and here's why. I like cereal rye because it's a tremendous sequester of nutrients, but the cereal rye is also going to give stability to these peas they're going to grab a hold of the rye they're going to stay vertical they're going to stay upright and now you're going to really suppress the weeds yeah. uh, so if you're in a chemistry program i put out 50 pounds of cereal rye with uh we planted 55 pounds of these survivor peas last fall i would not be any less than that that's the minimum 55 pounds so you're getting pricey here mitchell because you're getting you're getting in that forty dollar range an acre on cover crop here. Mm. So, so now but you 40 gotta, is not as bad as what I thought you were gonna say. I thought this was gonna be like two dollars an acre type or two dollars yeah. a pound type of stuff. No, no, uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Uh okay. Jeff, where do you post your uh P stuff, Rick? Uh, Rachel, put on um where our where our social media handles farm green thirteen. That's the best place to see us. Start following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's one way, Mitchell. Now, here's another yeah. way. Um, but, so hold on. Quick follow up on that. So in your system, though, you're doing just peas. Yeah. And pl- planted in or how are you planting them that deep? Or you got your 15 inch? No, yours are all it, on 20s. It depends. If if we have the right kind of fall, which we've had two years in a row, we've been able to take out our John Deere in uh, 540c air seeder seven and a half inch spacing right and and get them two and three quarter inches deep you can do it if your soil is in good condition yeah, yeah. Got it. and our soil and i'm telling you what uh, mitchell i don't care i don't care how much you think you're not creating compaction compaction is the number one steal of yield in our everybody's farming operation it's compaction and you have you have to you have to stay off your fields until they're fit to be on just period you have to 
So get your soil in condition, try to reduce compaction, and you can go out there on December the 1st, assuming the ground's not frozen, and you can get your drill in the ground two and a half to two and three quarter inches deep. Now, I, I will tell you this. I I tend to plant everything deep, okay? When I first advertised this on social media, it wasn't five minutes. I had a phone call from Grassland, Oregon. What are you doing planting our peas three inches deep? You know? And I'm like, hang on, it's gonna be fine. We're gonna see them next spring. Just just hang on. Yeah. Okay, so now now I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little different direction here. But now we're kind of getting into an area I'm not a true expert on here, and I'm gonna talk about timing. So let's mm. say you did plant a cereal grain, and then let's say you're able to come in and and put a nice cocktail out there. I don't know as though I want to plant my peas in July. I think I would still wait and let this cocktail you plant let let it eat let the big dog eat as i like to say and let this thing grow and start doing what it's supposed to do for you then i would come in which is another pass but i would come in in late november or uh, again this is a contextual thing where do you live okay if you live in minnesota then you got to be you got to be sooner than this but a week before the ground's going to freeze I would then still go out and plant the peas into the cocktail that we planted after uh, the cereal grain. Now, I could be wrong on this, and if someone someone from Grassland, Oregon is listening, please let me know. I don't think I want to plant your peas in July. I don't think I do. No. So that is now another pass, but Mitchell, I think this helps guarantee that we're going to have a legume for us for next spring. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to play with it. We've not done any of the peas on our farm, just cow peas interceded into 60 inch corn. We've done that. Other than that, mm-hmm. we've done no peas. So we're going to have to get some of that fruit out because the alfalfa that we try to do this year, that ain't going to. Get well, I'm going to tell you what probably happened there. How we did it, it didn't work. in March. And probably what happened was it had, it had a, had a, a weather, it had a weather window that it liked and it started yeah. to grow and then the weather turned cold. Alfalfa right. does not like that. Oh, yeah, now, Harry exactly. Vetch, I would have done Harry Vetch over the alfalfa. Harry Vetch could handle those swings in temperature better. Um, Harry, yeah. But yes, this, this is now we've gone out and I've got tests to show all this. Um, we've gone out and, and broadcasted Harry Vetch and Clover in March. And what I'm looking for there also, and again, I'm not the expert on this stuff. I can only tell you things that we've done in work. I go out and I wait and I look at the weather and I get a morning that's going to be frozen until about noon. And then it's going to warm up enough to thaw out. Those are the days I want a frost seed because when that ground warms up, and that afternoon, it sucks that seed right into the ground. It freezes back up that night to say 28 degrees. You go back out the next morning, you run again till 10, 30, 11 o'clock. You get off the field, it warms up. Those are the days I want to be frost seeding. Now there'll be people say, now just go right out on the snow. And that's fine. I'm just saying I've done it this way and we've had pretty good success. But here's what I'm going to say. 
when you plant a legume in the spring versus a fall planted legume, you're gonna get way more foliage growth above ground and not so much below ground growth. And you're only gonna fix about half of the potential of nitrogen that a fall planted legume would have given you. So sure. yes, it's better than doing nothing, but don't count on the full load here. You're only gonna be able to look for half, half of what you expect the other way planted in the fall. Makes sense. Yeah. What do we got here, Brian? Brian, we had the same experience with peas this December at two and a half inches in, in Middle Tennessee. Last three weeks has been outrageous in terms of growth. Did not expect it. Yeah, it's crazy, and that's why, folks, we always preach and harp: don't go out and terminate on the first warm day of spring. No. Let these cover crops do what they were intended to do for you. And these peas are a dynamo if you give them the opportunity to, to let them go. Our, uh, our cover crop that we planted ahead of corn last fall, a lot of it, yeah, it was cereal rye, didn't get planted until middle of November. It's pitiful. Yeah. We planted the corn on April 26th. We still have not ran a sprayer across those fields. Yeah. The yeah. corn's about V3 right now, <laughs> growing with it, but the rye is just so pitiful that there's just nothing but – uh, our soybeans are starting. Our soybeans are starting to drop pollen, so yeah. we started spraying off some soybeans on some side hills here yesterday. We're gonna relay crop the majority of our soybeans, even though the rye isn't amazing. We're still gonna gonna keep it. But yeah. one other thought on this, uh, I got to keep pushing on the the legume stuff. But something that's really interesting with all this conversation, though, we do our weekly Haney testing. You know, yeah. I was looking at the weekly Haney results where it was relay crop last year. So it was relay crop last year where we yeah. had cereal rye. We took off 30 bushel rye and about 65 bushel acre soybeans. Yeah. Soybeans had to nodulate like crazy in that crazy high CDN ratio cover crop and system. Yeah. And uh, now what we're seeing, and then all the rye, we had a bunch of volunteer rye, we did not have to plant any additional cover crop. And this rye is plenty thick out there. We planted corn into it. On April 26th this year, we terminated the cover crop about 10 days later. Yep. And then I we pulled some soil samples last week. So right about termination time, there was 200, there currently is 200 units of available nitrogen sitting out there yep. in the top six inches. We're yep. not even looking down deeper. We've got fertilizer down deeper. We're talking top six inches, 200 pounds of nitrogen sitting available and nearly all in the inorganic form. If we were using anything other than a hanging test, we would not even recognize that it's there. Yeah. 200 pounds of nitrogen sitting out there though, because there's not those soybeans had to nodulate so much yeah. that we're getting just crazy credit. Now so I think it just that's another way to be able to make the system go is force when you get a legume to go, yeah. force it to nodulate. Yeah. Um, and you know how you do that? You have a cereal grain with it, Agreed. just Agreed. like you're doing on the relay. If you want those peas to really overload and work hard, you put cereal rye with it because the rye yeah. is taking that nitrogen from them, and it works even harder to make nitrogen. I, I am baffled at, as we've been digging around. We've got these soybeans that are right now they're VU, so they've got the cotyledons and they got their unifoliates out. They're just starting to work on the trifoliate. No. These no. beans are planted the week of April 10th. We planted, planted super early because we're not patient like you, Rick. 
and waiting. <laughs> We're going. <laughs> and these are 4-0 maturity soybeans. So if we yeah. don't plant them in April. We got to go. We got to go. We're going. So we're planting beans in in middle of April. These beans are four inches tall right now. And, you know, our, our rye is only three foot tall. Yeah. It, it, like I said, planted late, pitiful. The nodulation on these soybeans, you would not believe. Yeah. And they are, we don't use any inoculate. We use no seed treatment. There's no biologicals on this. There's no yeah. fertilizer. There is zero beans. And the root hairs that I'm seeing on our corn and our soybeans this year is insane. The fungal communities that I'm seeing in our soils already is just amazing. The earthworms, the smell, the function in there, and these nodules, it is just wild. Yeah. Where where are you at on on the farm average right now of reduction of of chemistry? Like what percent? 50, 60%? 75 75 on chemistry, 50 on fertilizer, 50% reduction. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, we still, I think can keep going a long way, but then when you're talking seed treatments, I mean, there's none of that stuff, insecticide. No, Uh, dad's doing a lot more. Uh, We're playing a lot here this year with micronutrients instead of fungicide. Help the plant to fend off the problems on its own, build up the bricks level and a lot more sugars, get the micronutrient packages in there correctly to be able to fend off disease yeah. and not fungicide. Yeah, that's that's the best way to attack it. Um, hey, Walt, how are you doing tonight? Walt's wanting to know if the seeding rates would be different in non-organic context. Probably mm-hmm. so, Walt. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're talking about going into a, on our side of the fence. We're talking about planting no-till into an established, you know, a, a thatch that's already there. The the residue of the cash crop that we just took off. So yeah, we're we're probably going to run a little higher rate, uh, but if you were going into more of a cleaner type system, you could probably get by with some some lesser rate. But man, I, I don't. I mean, Walt, I wouldn't pinch pennies here. I, you don't step over a dollar to pick up a dime, you know. Uh, keep that extra five dollars out there and get another fifty pounds of in. Um, yeah. that's how I look at it. That was crazy. I mean, like you were talking 55 pounds of these peas being 40 bucks. Now that's a expense. That's plenty of expense in a cover crop. But if you're going to be able to get these nitrogen gains, that yeah. uh, nitrogen is more than a dollar right now. So, or at least, you know, depending on what you're buying, but yeah, yeah. we got we to figure some of that out. I want to ask you a question now, Mitchell. Do you happen to know, that when you went out to that relay field and pulled your haney, did you pull it where the soybean was or did you pull it where the rye was? No, it gets pulled all over. They pull a bunch of different ones all over the place. So it, it would have yeah. more than 20 cores getting blended together. And this this is drilled rye and drilled soybeans. So it's all solid seeding. Oh, okay. So this isn't the traditional relay where you leave a gap and then to come back. No, this is like uh, I do. Our, all, all of our relay is this is okay. Solid seeded rye, yeah. solid seeded soybeans. We don't do any rows like our buddy Lauren and these guys. Like yeah. ours is all solid seeded. That's how we do it too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now uh, let let's keep going here though because the peas are you know they don't always work. So I've had good success with them. Uh, I'm going to have 
you're going to work in the spring if you be patient and don't plant corn until after Mother's Day. Uh, they're going to work. Uh, will they give you weed suppression? No, probably not in the spring because everything's already taken off when you're out there planting these peas. Um, hairy vetch, uh, I, you know, if you're, if I'm going to pick a, a, a vetch over, or if I'm going to have a choice between vetch and clover, I'm probably going to go with vetch because vetch is always going to be there. Clover is finicky. If you get the wrong weather at the wrong time in the winter, you, your, your, your clovers may not survive that, that, that weather event. Vetch is pretty hardy. And you said a, you said a critical thing a few minutes ago, when you let these cover crops go as far as we are now, and as far as you are now, Mitchell, you start to generate your own seed bank here. So yeah. you reach a point where you're going to have a volunteer cereal rye across every acre if you so yeah. desire. We're going to have it on a lot of stuff. 150, 200 acres yeah. here this fall going into corn for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that cereal is going to be planted early. But what I think, what I really am excited about on that then is we're going to have plenty of rye. We're not going to want to plant more rye. But what we'll do is then that gives us the opportunity to then spend the money on the peas and right. something else. We right. could still go out there and then drill that in or plant it in or however we figure out what, that we're going to do it. But we can reallocate those dollars then to putting in that legume and being able right. to uh, – because we're going to want the diversity in it. Like, like I said, I mean, I'm anticipating a big credit from these soybeans. But because uh, our target this year with our rye not being great, we're shooting for like 25 bushel the acre rye and 70 to 80 bushel the acre soybeans. That's yeah. the target. Yeah. And uh, no fertilizer, no, you know, yeah, shoot. Sell each of those at about $15 a bushel. That'll work. Like, yeah. Uh, but yeah. So I think that's going to give a good opportunity though, to play with some of these additional legumes here to put into all this, uh, yeah. Put in all this rock. Yeah. You know, and you know, I the and 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 I'm you know, and let's just stay right here because I got some thoughts in my brain. I I think when we always look to cereal rye, that's not a good thing. Cereal rye is a monoculture out there. I mean, we're talking now late in the season, folks, like Mitchell was talking about earlier. November, you don't have many choices left here. Yeah. There's not much else yeah. you can plant. So you're now planting a monoculture of a cover crop. You're planting an extremely high carbon to nitrogen ratio crop if you let it grow uh, uh, far into the season next year. I think... I have inadvertently shifted our bio biology uh, from a fungal, uh, you know, more of a dominated fungal to now more back to a bacterial. I think we've inadvertently done this by using too much cereal rye. But mm. what, what are you going to do when it's when it's November the twentieth? You don't have much yeah. choice. So it, it becomes very hard, and this is where you get down to where I talk about regen acres where you've got to take an acre out of production and get it back in step. I know that's hard to do. That's very hard to do. But do that with the cereal grain then. Right? Get get a few dollars of income and then just focus on a massive cocktail the rest of the summer. 
Yeah. Yeah, because then uh, you're looking holistic at what is that reduction in the following year and back to what we started with, you know, with the low yeah. carbon density and all that, that in that following corn year, if you're getting that kind of extra premium and that kind of stuff, you know, that could be factored in and over the yeah. two year time more than pays for itself. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's another good point. We've got to stop looking at the single year uh, profitability here. What's it look like in three or four years in a rotation? That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so um, I don't know. I hope I helped you there a little bit. Um, we got a and, lot to keep. On. And I'm I'm here to help. So, and uh, Claudia mentioned uh, Rick. Maybe you can tell uh, Mitchell about Cispay. That's a biological company. I don't know if you've heard of them or not, Mitchell. No. But um, we'll have to uh, send me the info or something after. Yeah, you'll have to Google them or Claudia can send you some info on it. Cool. Um, I think we need to respect the time here. You've got a beautiful daughter there. Um, we got to find some. Let's, uh, let, let's wrap this up. Yeah. What, uh, Celeste, what would be your closing comments here, Celeste? Yeah, see, see. Tell them what, tell them what you think. Yeah. Cover crops. I think that's what I heard her say. Plus, the saying we got a lot. A lot going on, a lot of good th stuff going with all this. We've got the, um, yeah, if people want to come see what we got going, June 5th, we're going to be hanging out. we got our conference. We're going to be hanging out at the farm. We're going to have a soil pit. I'm really excited. Do some digging around. Celeste was out there checking out yesterday, digging for worms. Found good. a bunch. And uh, Celeste is going to have her little sibling here in a couple weeks. So she's excited for that. Yeah, that's going to be right around uh, uh, summit time. I'm hoping that we survive until right after the summit and then the baby. <laughs> but no, Rick, this is good. Good to, uh, to hang out and appreciate well, you having me on. We got a lot to discuss. Hopefully people like it and uh, yeah. don't get sick of me. Well, Mitchell, thanks for, thanks for coming on because uh, it, it's easy. Uh, there's so much we can just talk about. Um, you've got a lot going on and, and I'm really, I'm really I'm really proud of you and your dad and how far you're pushing these regenerative uh, practices. So, um, you know, I say this a lot in, in public when we, when we were maximizing, uh, our, our ROI, we were at 70% reduction and that's right where you guys are right now. So you're, yeah. you're probably getting real close to, unless you can get a, a yield, you know, an, an incline on yield, but, um, but yeah, you're you're getting real close. I mean, if you go much further, Mitchell, you're going to be organic, man. But I know it's. I could. I mean, it's not at this point. It's no longer completely out of the question, but it's just going to end up being. Uh, yeah, can we go those last couple steps? Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I mean, we've had plenty of stuff where like we're close. I mean, these soybeans right now, they're they're GMO soybeans. But other than that. There are nothing on them. Yeah. They, they, so I don't know. We'll see where things go. We got yeah. a long time to keep playing the game. So we, we can be patient. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, again, Mitchell, thanks for coming on. Um, everybody's busy. So I appreciate your time. Tell your beautiful family that we said hello. Um, and, and everyone out there who tuned in, thanks for the great questions. So, 
Everybody have a great, uh, safe rest of your spring. Thanks, Mitchell. Thanks, Rick. See you, everyone.